customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. All right, welcome in everyone to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. This one is the live room edition that we do each and every week here on the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Bascalia. Thanks for hanging out. Of course, this live room edition gives us the ultimate capabilities of hearing from you all right here on the Athletic app to see what is on your mind, what questions we could have answered, maybe what's to come in the Broncos game and There's a bevy of topics to go through. Of course, the offense is top of mind. The the overall defensive injuries and even adding more of them. And, of course, what happened today when the injury report came out about uh, Stefan Diggs. Now, I will say, because this is kind of an ongoing situation, I'm sure there's going to be a ton of questions about Stefan Diggs. So I'll I'll say something about it at the top here. at this point, it is still very fresh into the situation. I'm recording this on Friday at 4.43 p.m. And all we know at this point is that Stefan Diggs was limited at practice. Now, we do not have the delineation between whether or not it was a scheduled limited practice, whether it was uh, a practice in which he sustained a back injury and missed a few reps, reps, but finished the practice. Of course, those first two would have been the preferable options, I'm sure, for the Bills and their fans. And then the last option, of course, is he suffered the injury in practice and did not finish the session. So we are unsure at this point what which of those three it was. And... I'm sure as the situation kind of unfolds and they have practice again on Saturday, we'll get to see if Diggs is out on the practice field. Now, what makes this situation a little bit more unique is that it is a Monday night game, which means that everything from their practice schedule has been pushed back a few days or at least one day, I should say. So that means the media availability of Sean McDermott Uh, At least the scheduled media availability has completed for the week already. 
He only talks on the first two days or he only talks on Wednesdays and Thursdays during the practice week. And so because everything was pushed back, it's Thursdays and Fridays this week. But usually in a normal week, he goes on WGR Sports Radio 550 on Fridays of a normal week and, you know, talks about uh, what what uh, maybe what's to come from an injury front and things like that. But now because everything got pushed back a week, that appearance happened today. So tomorrow there is no scheduled Sean McDermott time, which may not be ideal from that scenario, but uh, from a knowing what's to come scenario. But uh, uh, hopefully we we get some answers here within the next uh, within the next day or so about whether or not Diggs will be out there, and um, I'm sure we we can start to if he's on the practice field tomorrow. I think that will be telling, but um, we just don't know right now. So that's. What I have for you with the Diggs situation, I know there will be more uh, questions coming in. I'll refresh it every once in a while um, throughout the throughout this live room episode. But uh, but yeah, that's that's what we know right now, and what we know right now is it's a very very new situation. So we'll see. From oh, the other piece of this is he was he was supposed to speak with reporters after practice. He did not speak with reporters after practice. But that isn't totally uh, unique. Like sometimes he's just uh, he he is doing something else inside the building, and the the availability winds up not happening. So it's not as though this is like a a sure telltale sign that he suffered a, a really big injury or anything like that. I think it's just you know it could be just coincidental. So you have all. The information that I have. So uh, that we'll we'll see how it goes from here. All right. Let's get to some of your questions. Uh, there's been a lot of good ones over the last few weeks and uh, certainly want to get to as many as possible within the first uh, within the 40 minutes here. All right. Uh, first question comes from Grant, who writes, could the RPOs be the missing piece to truly unlock the offense? McDermott wants a rhythm and to be effective running the ball. I feel like this would work. This could work since it has in the past. I think that's a really good read on the situation, Grant. I think for the most part, you know, this is this is a, an offense that's really trying to figure itself out. And we've heard a lot about the uh, about the Bills wanting to establish the line of scrimmage from the head coach himself. And it and if that means he wants to run the ball a ton, then that's not necessarily a uh, a conducive situation. But I think the RPO game is a way to potentially split the difference uh, between, between what they uh, want to do to establish the line of scrimmage and maybe continuing to keep their, their edge passing the ball. Because there's no doubt on first downs, they were electric passing the ball against the Bengals or when they dropped back to pass, I should say. On those 23 opportunities on first downs, the Bills averaged 9.1 yards per play when they dropped back. That's not by accident. This is a good a, a good potential offense with a high ceiling capability if they continue to be this overwhelming passing attack specifically on first down and it's super smart to pass on first down right because you that is when teams are expecting the run the most but if you 
almost do it a little bit too often, then you potentially run the risk of becoming too predictable from that perspective. So I think there is a way to kind of split the difference here. And I think that RPO game grant is a great, great way to potentially accomplish all those goals. You have the threat to pass. And then if the pass isn't there, or if they try to bring that, uh, or if they try to bring it to one side of, of the line and you feel like the run is a better opportunity, then that, that can be there for the bills. And using RPOs on first down might even be a way to kind of split the difference here where you maintain what Sean McDermott has long been trying to push over his time in Buffalo is the threat to run as opposed to wanting to be a, you know, run first, run second, pass third down sort of guy. It's it's all about maintaining that sort of unpredictability and that's that's where that's where i think the bills might have some potential and so that rpo is is a way to kind of accomplish all their goals but that said they have to be able to run the ball effectively when they do actually hand it off and if they don't run the ball effectively then that puts more pressure on the passing offense to get things going without the threat of of uh, the the run or the RPO game working from that perspective. It's really, they need to find a formula that has worked for them in the past and that will work for them going forward. So that could be a way, you know, maybe mix in a run here or there. The, the idea that I had, you know, obviously is running to surprise rather than running to establish and running on second and short is ideal because that's when you truly don't know. But it also goes into it how defenses will wind up playing the Bills if they do one thing too often. So it all kind of plays in into the entire scope of the situation. But I, I, I do think the RPO game is, is a way to accomplish a lot of their goals. All right. Next up is Frank P who writes, why is it that Dorsey doesn't do any trick plays? I know they tried one in Cincy, but other than that, there haven't been many. It's unfair to compare him to Dable, but I feel like he was always ready with something in his bag of tricks. Yeah, he was. Uh, and I, you're not alone in this. They they don't, they have not really utilized it, uh, utilized those trick plays and catching them off guard or these you know, you always think back when you think about Brian Dable around around the uh, inside the five yard line. There was always the threat that an offensive lineman that was eligible on the play was going to go out on a route and be in the end zone waiting for uh, waiting for a touchdown pass. Like that's that's that was kind of a staple of him. And there was a lot more of the of the jet sweep stuff with him and. The Bills did try it early in the year. It just, it didn't work. You know, Deontay Hardy just wasn't really, it wasn't really, um, it was a predictable asset to their offense because the Bills had been so, I guess they had run it a lot of times before in previous seasons. And you can almost kind of see it coming when when Hardy's on the field and he's not on the field for a ton of snaps and you put him in, you put him in motion. Sometimes it's 
It's to fake out the defense to try and get them to play that jet sweep. But, you know, I think teams are feeling more and more comfortable with just playing that straight up and uh, and being able to thwart that specific play call. So the, the answer is I don't know why Dorsey doesn't do more trick plays. I think it probably has to do with having more of a – an experience, more of a knowledge uh, of when he has the opportunities to do that. Also, he's under a ton of pressure at the moment. And running a trick play or multiple trick plays may not be in his best interest when all he's trying to do is jumpstart this offense. Now, he did try something, and you have to give him a certain degree of credit for trying to – it was – a bit of a weird play call. Both the targets down the field were double covered, which I which I just found to be astounding because the Bills really don't run trick plays. So they must have done something pre-snap to tip it off that uh, that the Bengals caught on to because they, they were just not fooled whatsoever. So I don't know that I would expect a trick play uh, upcoming in these next couple of weeks. I think it's a lot of them trying to get back to basics, get back to what worked in the past, try and figure out how to extrapolate what happened uh, in that Miami game, what happened in that Las Vegas Raiders game to help them become the offense that they believe they are capable of becoming. So is that, does that have to have anything to do with, with trick plays? Probably not. But a lot along the lines of having and maintaining a threat to do either run or pass on each down. I think that is the the stressing point of um, of what's happening inside the building at, at One Bills Drive right now, and trying to figure out how to regain what they what they used to be. It's just it hasn't been there for much of the season. Even these uh, these last two games when the offense has looked a little bit better, like the Buccaneers game, they won. But even the second half in that game was, you know, inconsistent. They, they couldn't really punch the ball in. The Bengals game, there were five really decent drives. Three of them ended up in points, one of which ended because of the intentional grounding call. The other ended up because of ended because of a fumble in the red zone. It just felt like they kind of left points on the field, but that wasn't their only difficulties. Like on on some of these other drives, they tried running the ball pretty predictably, wound up getting two yards that sets them behind the eight ball, um, negative one yard uh, on an, on another first down opportunity. They throw an incomplete pass uh, to begin one one drive, and then Allen throws a pick on the next play where he kind of tipped it off a little bit. And it was a good play by the defender too, don't get me wrong. But these are all trying to find that, I guess, that right um, elixir to help them get through whatever it is they're going through. All right, Joshua T. writes in, is Josh Allen the favorite for MVP right now? Even though they're struggling, he leads the league in touchdowns 
and I can't seem to find an argument for a quarterback who deserves it more at the midway point, maybe Lamar. Well, there is the wins and losses standpoint that a lot of times that you'll see MVPs, uh, the guys that generate the MVP award are ones that are right there in the thick of things on the best team in the league. But I think I would also throw into the equation that he is working with an offense that really hasn't suffered much adversity outside of their own doing and their own inconsistency. Does he lead the league in touchdowns? Yeah, but he's also got a ton of turnovers this season. He's running the ball fewer times. Scrambling less than he used to. That's a that's a significant chunk of who he is. But because they haven't really gone through like a, a major injury on, on the offensive side of the ball. I think that kind of works against him and the potential to be in a really serious contender contender in the MVP race. Their, their entire offensive line has missed a grand total of 60-something snaps this season. I went and looked at it this week. And a lot of that was because they are up by a lot late in a couple of games early this season. And they took a bunch of those guys out. So each one of those offensive linemen, and as I've mentioned before, this is the best offensive line that from a pass blocking perspective that Josh Allen has had since he's been in the league. That hasn't been an issue. He's had most of his pass catchers for the entirety of the season. Stefan Diggs, Gabe Davis, Khalil Shakir has established himself as the top third receiver. The Bills got better from a pass-catching perspective when Dawson Knox suffered his wrist injury and had to be put on IR. Dalton Kincaid comes in. He becomes an instant second-best target for Josh Allen, and that should not uh, discontinue even when Dawson Knox is is ready to go. I think there's going to be a way to play both of those guys. But all that said, there hasn't been much adversity for, for Josh Allen outside of Okay, the offense isn't punching the ball in. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So I think that all plays into it. Perception absolutely plays into it because the bills are just kind of humming along right now. And I do think there's the potential for them to find answers because there were little um, little signs of it over the last couple of games. But still, they need to be a lot better more consistently, especially with the amount of injuries that they're going to have on the defensive side of the ball. All right. Nick writes in, what is the vibe like in the building right now? Is there a rift developing between the players and coaches? Any fingers pointed, etc.? What's it like over there in the building? It's a good question because trying to feel the temperature of the building um, is a really important part. Like I remember, I forget which year specifically it was, maybe 2020 or 2021. There were 
getting ready to play the Seahawks. And a lot of people were talking up the Seahawks. And the Bills just had like this, just this overall feeling that you could see, hear, everything. Like they were loose, they were ready to go, and you could just kind of tell that they were going to come out that game in in a with a really big showing. And I always kind of go back to that game under this regime specifically to think, okay, how does it feel comparatively to that? What I will say is I do not get the sense that the team is dejected. I do not get the sense that the team is overwhelmingly questioning what the coaches are doing, at least not yet. I think there's an there's an overall sentiment that this team can be so much better than than it has been, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. Like they know that they they have not been able to do the things that they've wanted to so far this season. Mitch Morse today on Friday was talking about that it guys are frustrated inside the building. It's why you hear about them having a uh a players only meeting led by Latavius Murray and it's it was the second of those this season for for the offense something that Mitch Morse tried to stress happens a lot more than than you think it does but i didn't necessarily get the sense that they're out of answers they kind of know that it's in there somewhere the consistency piece is what they really need to tap into because it hasn't happened just yet outside of the Miami game where they just fired on all cylinders. They could not be stopped in that game. So they, the vibe in the building is that they believe it's in there. Now, will it come out this week? I think a lot of, a lot of that, uh, I think I think it could happen. I think it's more likely to happen than not. Because while the Broncos have been playing a lot better over their last three, I do think this is uh, the feeling and the overall vibe in the building is that they're they're ready to kind of put what has been ailing them behind them. Big piece could could happen if uh, with what happens with Stefan Diggs and popping up on the injury report like he did on Friday, but. I still think they have some quality offensive pieces in Dalton Kincaid and Shakir and Gabe Davis, even though he had a down game, um, those will probably be the trio that they're relying on if, if Diggs can't go. And then, you know, having that threat to run is going to be a, a pretty big staple, I think, of of their attack against the Broncos. Not necessarily saying they're going to run it a bunch, but I would not be shocked if you see them come out with uh Latavius Murray, especially after he spearheaded the uh, the player only meeting, trying to get things back on track, I would not be surprised if if that was a bit of their play to begin the week. Okay, next up comes from uh, Bob R, who writes, "Any Leonard Fournette elevation for Monday?" I was tempted to think that it could happen this week. I do think they just have so many injuries that maybe they just push it off another week. Um, There's also the point of him needing to learn the playbook 
that it's a pretty complex one and him never seeing it before, before this week. So I think maybe this is still just another get up to speed week and figure out if he can, uh, if he can become a factor for them maybe next week against the Jets or the week after that against the Eagles, or maybe even after the bye week when, when they, when they head for a week off and they've got the chiefs, Cowboys and chargers back to back to back weeks. So I, my sense is I don't think it'll be a a week for Leonard Fournette just yet, but I'm not ruling out the Jets game by any means. I think there is legitimate potential for him to be, to give both James Cook and Latavius Murray a run for their money to be who will be the top back down the stretch of the season. But yeah, I think it's just a touch too early at this point, Bob. All right. Chris writes, Joe, first and foremost, I hope dad life is treating you well. Thanks, Chris. If the Bills manage to miss the playoffs, do you think Ken Dorsey will be the only person to be fired or could possibly McDermott or Bean join the hot seat? Dorsey is the obvious one here, especially if the offense doesn't wind up turning things around. And I'm still not necessarily ruling out if they cannot find the consistency at some point over the next few weeks before the bye of them switching things up at offensive coordinator before the year is done. You you absolutely cannot rule it out. You can sense the frustration over not being able to be have those consistent efforts. And if that should continue, and let's say they lose one of these next two home games, then you have the Eagles right after that, their late bye week could be a facilitator for change. But you know, Ken Dorsey also has an opportunity here against two teams at home where the Bills have really played well this year to kind of right the ship. So that way he he keeps his job, ups his confidence heading into these crucial games against the Eagles, the Chiefs, the Cowboys, the Chargers, and then later on in the year, the Dolphins. But to your question about McDermott or Bean, if they miss the playoffs. I don't think either of those guys are going anywhere. I don't think they're in any jeopardy of going anywhere. I think this is probably a year premature to even having the conversation just because of how well thought of they are um, by the ownership group. They just signed both of these guys to extensions through the 2026 season. I would highly doubt that they rip up the contracts of both of those or one of those after their first season of maybe kind of struggling. Like they're still five and four. They have a a fairly good shot at getting into the postseason, And even if they don't, it's probably going to be them missing out with a nine and eight or 10 and seven record. Something would have to go really poorly for either of those guys to get fired after the after the year would is it a different conversation next year maybe potentially but i don't think it's they are in any jeopardy of it happening because the one thing i continue to point back to when anyone brings up the job security of sean mcdermott or brandon bean usually it's sean mcdermott because he's he's the the guy who's the head coach and 
Uh, he's taken a bit more heat recently than he usually does. Both him and Bean got signed to extensions through the opening of the new stadium. And I think that's important. I think that the Bills want to have a good leadership group to open up a brand new stadium that had has had a lot of money put into it. They're going to want to get a lot out of it. And having a group in McDermott and Bean who have shown the ability to make the playoffs consistently and to consistently feel good rosters to put themselves in a position to make the playoffs. I just think it's kind of a complete non-starter. So I hear where you're coming from, Chris, but I think if there's one to go either in season or after the season, it's Ken Dorsey. And I think it probably ends there if, if I had to guess. Okay, next up comes from Andy N., who writes, Is a players-only meeting a meaningful event? What do you think it means? It's meaningful, Andy, in the sense that they they feel like what has happened on the field is not indicative of who they are. I do not think it's meaningful in, in the fact that it's like a an insurgent um, event to where they are sick and tired of the coaching staff and they want to put it upon themselves to fix things. I think it's a lot just of hard conversations had from, from one person to another about being sharp and and executing because it, it, the problem is more than just Dorsey. I said it on my last episode. I don't necessarily think Dorsey is, an awful offensive coordinator. I don't think he's been overwhelmingly good by any stretch. I think he's just been kind of average to below average. And they do need better than that. But a lot of times, good execution from the players that they have on the field, and a lot of those guys are the designated first team player. Like for instance, Dalton Kincaid fumbling in the in the red zone. That is an absolute no-no. If they punch that ball in for a, for a touchdown, that game is looking a little bit different than what it ultimately wound up becoming. That was the play. Like I remember that drive thinking, okay, they could make it interesting here. As they were driving it down the field, I'm like, okay, this could be a brand new ball game. Then he fumbles the ball, get, ball away, and I said out loud, all right, that's it. There's There's not really anything coming back from from that point, because the Bengals are going to try to run out the clock as much as they can. The Bills have had to sustain some longer drives just to push the ball down the field. The odds were very much stacked against them. So those players-only meetings are an accountability measure from one player to the next. When they're when teams are, you know, in hovering in the realm of good. If it's a players-only meeting when the Bills are 0-9, for instance, that's a that's kind of a wake-up call and potentially more meaningful for the coaching staff and things like that. I think it's just them wanting to get the most out of the season and realizing that if they don't act now, that the season is going to pass them by. The playoffs are not guaranteed anymore. 
the the hopes for a Super Bowl are very much in doubt. So they feel it. They sense the frustration, like I said before. And I will just send you back to what Mitch Morse talked about on Friday, saying that these players' meetings happen probably more than you think they do. It's just they don't really get out a ton. They get out more often when teams are struggling. But uh, but yeah, I think I think you can take it at face value for it being them wanting to write things here. But also realizing now is not the time to necessarily panic because they are still five and four. They're only in the eighth spot of of the playoff race in the AFC. And they're only a game behind in in the AFC East. So they recognize that. They know they have a tough schedule coming up, but that's why it's the urgency at this point to get things going. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Brett writes in, big picture view are Deontay Hardy, Mitch Morris, Gabe Davis, Jordan Poyer, Trey White, Daquan Jones, and Micah Hyde going to be here next year. There's a lot going on there, Brett. Um, I do love big picture questions because a lot of times in the season we get we get so wrapped up into what's happening from, from a one week to the next basis. I think it's kind of a a case-by-case thing. I think Mitch Morris will be back if he wants to be. He's still playing at a really good level, and I would expect him to be back as long as he wants to continue to play play football. And I would not even rule out maybe a one-year extension past 2024 because Mitch Morse, still only 31 years old, turns 32 uh, in the offseason, could probably... If he wants to keep going, get another solid year of uh, of salary out of the bills because he is 
so heavily re- relied upon both in the locker room and on the field. I would think he's back. Um, I think they want Gabe Davis back next year. If I had to guess, they, they, they do love Gabe Davis and I know it's an inconsistent thing from, from one week to the next, but they, they believe in what he does outside of just catching passes and the role that he plays within the offense. And they find value in that. So I would anticipate that they look to re-sign him as long as, you know, the financials of what they are willing to pay and what Gabe Davis wants coincide with one another. The rest of those I think are a giant question mark. Deontay Hardy, um, he has now devolved into basically a bit offensive player and a punt returner. And you could save a pretty solid amount of cap space by moving on from him in the offseason, but you know, to be determined as to how his role might grow through through the rest of the season. Uh Tredavious White, I think, is a really compelling case because now you have Rasul Douglas signed for 2024, should you choose to keep him here. You have Christian Benford signed. I mean, you have Kair Elam signed, but he's not really factoring in the starting lineup anymore. So you have two starting caliber cornerbacks on your roster already. Tredavious White suffered the injury late September, early October. I can't remember which one, but it was the Dolphins game. And a torn Achilles is usually a, a year. None are the same, of course. And we saw some guys recently come back in a shorter amount of time than that. But Tredavious White also took a f- almost a full year to come back from a torn ACL, at least getting in a game. And if they can save as much as they can, which is $10.4 million with a post-June 1st designation, that's a that's a substantial chunk, especially when they're trying to keep things afloat here. So, yeah, that that's going to be one of the more compelling uh, decisions. And Daquan Jones, I think they would probably like to have him back if I had to guess. He is getting up there in age, and the injury is probably going to hurt his overall market outlook to where the Bills could get a better deal than maybe they would have if he continued to play at the level he played at uh, to begin the year. So I'll say... They would like to for that one. Poyer and Hyde. Poyer signed. Hyde is not. I could absolutely absolutely see a situation where both are back. I could see a situation where both are gone. Not waffling. It's just I want to see how the rest of the year plays out with both of those guys. Because Poyer has stepped up in the last couple of weeks. Especially when they've been using him in kind of this hybrid role. And Micah Hyde, we need to see how his injury shakes out too. So that's those are some of my... Big picture ideas on on those guys right now. Okay, we've got time for a couple more, I think. Let's see, where are we at in the episode? Yeah, we've got time for a couple more. All right. Yard writes in, Hey, Joe, what do you make of Khalil Shakir sliding down the wide receiver depth chart during the summer? Could it be he matches up poorly against uh, the Bills DBs? Better game player than practice player? Bad evaluation by coaches? I don't think it was necessarily a bad evaluation by coaches thing because you could clearly see he was being outplayed by by uh, Trent Sherfield and Deontay Harding uh, on a pra- on a day to day basis during practice. Like that's just what happened, and all 
coaches and decision makers can go by is not what the player could become and to just ignore what they're seeing with their eyes on the practice field on every single day. They, they need to, they owe it to themselves. If, if one guy is having a great, great summer, great preseason, all of that. And the other guy is just kind of meh, which is how I would describe Khalil Shakir's overall training camp. That you can't ignore that. But to Shakir's credit, the moment he started getting some opportunities, he was taking advantage, not only from a pass catching perspective, but like blocking, um, how he was selling his routes, making himself available, uh, winning on his routes, even when he wasn't getting the ball. Like these, these, all these things kind of stack up. And Sherfield kind of faded once the season started. Same thing with Deontay Hardy. And Shakir has just continued to make incremental gains. And some of that too is him just being in a second year to where you are going to have some stops in progress. Sometimes some regressions to your progress. These things are normal for a young player. So I don't think it was like, uh, oh, he just doesn't practice well, or um, he's a better gamer than, than, than a practice player. There's a certain amount that you could, you could say for that, but mostly the Bills respect what they see in practice because that's where they feel a lot of their guys earn their time on the field. I just think Shakir has taken advantage of every single opportunity he, he has gotten. He's likely been shining a lot more in practice, even though media can't see it um, during the season. He has done something very right for them to make a switch to where he is the locked-in number three receiver now. So, I, yeah, it, it might just be a simple case of him being a young player going through it in his second season and and trying to figure out who he was within an offense. Okay, last question. Oh, not to, not to say last question, but someone said, what's up with Stefan Diggs? I'll just reiterate because I, I said it at the top of the show, and, and I'm sure we've got some new listeners in here. At this point in the situation, still very fresh. All we know is that he was limited in practice on Friday with a back injury. We do not have the delineation yet of whether or not it was a scheduled limited practice or a limited practice where he sustained an injury but was able to return. And obviously, the the assumption when those types of injury reports come out is you see limited, a brand new injury with limited, you automatically think, oh, he couldn't finish practice. So that's not always the case. So I just want to stress that it could be one of those three, but we just do not know what it is just yet. The Bills do practice on Saturday, so we'll see if he's on the practice field. Sean McDermott has already gone through all of his media availabilities this week. Did He talked with reporters on Thursday, talked with reporters on Friday. Normally, on a game week Friday, he does a radio interview on WGR. That was held again on Friday rather than 
Saturday for a Monday night game week, which means we don't hear from the head coach about, you know, injury related things. So it's kind of a evolving situation as we're, as we're happening here. And the other thing I'll add is he was scheduled to talk with reporters today. Diggs did not, but that's not necessarily uncommon. Sometimes he's just in the training room and and goes long. Sometimes these things happen from week to week. It's not a for sure thing that Stefan Diggs is going to speak, uh, speak each week, but most weeks we get him. So not an uncommon thing by any means. So it's just a wait till we get some more information on the situation and see if Diggs is on the practice field on Saturday. All right, let's, let's go to one final question. Um, <laughs> this is a, I like the way you put this, Sam. How good has Christian Benford been on a scale of Philip Keynes to prime Trey White? Um, I will say Christian Benford has been on the EJ Gaines spectrum, if we can hearken back to those days. EJ Gaines was a good, not great corner. He's different from Christian Benford because he was a little undersized, but you know, you could see him and the potential to make some plays within a defense and having the ability to shut down a passing play. But there are also times where you're going to get beat. I do think Christian Benford has shown more than like, say, uh, a Levi Wallace. Because I think Christian Benford is a pretty good tackler. I think his instincts are pretty good. Sometimes he gets beat on an underneath play because maybe he's he's uh, thinking that the receiver could go long. But other than that, I think it's mostly been an above average brand of play with the potential for more. So not Philip Gaines, not prime Trey White. I'll go with EJ Gaines in 2017. How about that? All right, let's uh, head to the Shaq Lawson meditation prediction hour in which the Bills are taking on the Broncos on Monday night. The line on the game. I'll get it up to date here. Is Bills favored by seven? The total on the game is 46 and a half points. I am going to take the Bills to win this game. I think the offense will come out and have a much steadier performance, much more consistent performance than they have had in uh over the past five weeks, really. But you also saw signs of of that life is in there in the Buccaneers and Bengals game that I think can be extrapolated and and made to be a more of a a common sustained drive rather than just you know three and outs or one play and then an interception. I think it's in there, and I think uh, I think it's going to be able to come out a little bit this week. So I'll take the Bills to win. I will do a conditional on the line of the game. If the Bills have Stefan Diggs, I think they will cover. If the Bills do not have Stefan Diggs, I think they will not cover the seven points just because he's a vital piece to their offense and things shift but I still think the Bills will win even if they do not have Stefan Diggs available to them in this game because I, I do like some of the, the passing pieces that they have without him. And then the total on the game, 46.5. I'm going to take the under no matter what. The, the score I arrived at was 27-17, which was a 
which is an under goes goes to 44 points. Um, I think the Bills have what it takes to score in the mid 20s against this defense, even though the the Broncos are coming off a bye, even though they have been playing teams a lot better than than they have been in the past. I think the Bills will try to run the ball on on the Broncos a little bit more than they have in the last couple of games, specifically against the Bengals, where they only had eight running back carries. And it doesn't have to be power, sometimes RPO, sometimes pass to set up the run, run to surprise, all these different things. But I, I would expect them to test this Broncos rush defense because they still have been having trouble in not allowing, you know, more than or less than four yards per carry, which sets offenses up usually in some pretty good down and distances. So yeah, Diggs plays. I like the Broncos to cover. Diggs or Diggs doesn't play, I should say. I like the Broncos to cover. If Diggs plays, I think the Bills will cover and and, and do pretty well in this one. All right. That's going to do it for this live room episode. Thank you everyone for partaking, sending in your questions and and all that good stuff. We will be back after the Bills take on the Broncos on Monday night. Of course, uh, we'll see what happens with Stefan Diggs and whether or not he'll be able to play in that game. But either way, we will have plenty to talk about once uh, once that game goes final because either the Bills are 6-4 and four and doing a bit better in their bid to get to the playoffs or they're 5-5. Five and five. And they've got even more questions to answer. Either way, should be a fun. All right. My name is Joe Biscali. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode, and we will talk to you after the Broncos game. See you then.